0: Indeed. And the reason I was playing that, Black Hole Sun, is because it features in uh, Rob Villa 's book, 60 Songs That Explain the 90s, a chaotic and gritty and utterly magical time for music. It's a podcast. It's a book. It's probably going to be a series of action figures next. Delighted to say, joining me live on the line. And he had his beanie hat on as well. It's Robert Havilla. Robert, good afternoon <laughs> to you, mate.
1: Good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about the action figures. I you know, I, think lifelong, so. I think so. Lifelong yeah.
0: dream of mine. Finally realized. <laughs> I'm thrilled. I, I was I'm i a series of fridge magnets, and that does it for me, to be honest with you. Sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> So, and I love the fact that when we came online, we were both wearing beanies. And if that's not, we if were. That, if that's not the thing of a nineties of a generation Xer having that sort of thing. Right. I mean, you've got hair, okay, so you're okay. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I am that ro- higher old sort of hot, grunge kid with no hair. So they're full. But I see. Okay. Yeah. What a time to be alive. What a time for music. You could say. You could know because you can say you can say that the nineties, and I go on about this all the time because. You know, we'd lived through the 80s with our, you know, and we were, like, we were teenagers when the 80s we were there. Uh, with, the with the big hair and the most dangerous band in the world was Guns N' Roses or maybe Cinderella mm-hmm. uh, or yeah. Motley Crue. They Cr- were dangerous. Mot- As yeah. I spits across the studio. But, uh, and then in the 90s, things turned around, and not just in the rock situation, but also in the R&B mm. situation, in the rap, yeah. uh, and also in the indie music scene. And you've done a podcast. So explain the raison d'etre, the philosophy... If you like, Robert, about um, about what what inspired you to get the podcast together for a start?
1: Uh, the reason to enter of the pot, the philosophy of the podcast is that the 90s was the greatest decade in musical history. And I can say that for sure, because I was a teenager in the 90s. Right. I grew up in the 90s and the music that you love as a teenager is the music you'll love most in your life. So I am, you know, I have a predilection for the nineties, but I do think that it was a fascinating time. It was a golden era in multiple respects, as you said, in the rock sense and the grunge, the alternative rock of it all, but also, you know, the biggie and Tupac, you know, the chronic, you know, it was a golden age or one of the golden ages of rap as well. And I, I don't know why that is exactly. I think it being the last full decade before the internet took over everything, is relevant you know there's it's the fact you you still had to watch MTV every day right you still had to buy CDs you were still controlled by what was on the radio in your hometown like it it felt you you, you weren't as it culture wasn't as atomized as
0: as it is now you've just hit on something that that crosses thing because Pre-internet, you have to go and buy physical products, i.e. go down, maybe, you do. maybe you'd order a mail order if you were a real rock fan from the back of a rock magazine or a newspaper, mm-hmm. but also MTV. And, you know, I'm, I'm first generation MTV. I remember going to people's houses whose, whose parents had MTV, had, you know, had yeah. thing, MTV Europe. And we would sit there for the whole day and watch Sledgehammer on repeat, basically, or whatever, whatever <laughs> it was then. Or Timbuk 3. Video. Or Timbuk Tim 3. Oh, exactly. Oh, exactly. Three. Yeah, exactly. There, whatever happened to them. But, but... By watching that religiously, you got other you other things were dropped in. I mean, you know, there's right. the, there, you know, so other and as we hit the nineties and uh, every what was it, every rap video looks like it's it's produced from the inside of a cheese grater that effect, and you've got Buster yes. Rhymes and 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 you've got a young you've got a you've got a young sort of Wu Tang crew and everything else coming up. You're sitting there yeah. as as a, as a white rock fan, and suddenly you're seeing this other music that you wouldn't come across, and thinking that's not too bad either. Right, right. Yeah, it's I cannot explain
1: to people now how important MTV was, you know, MTV now just plays reruns of that show ridiculousness, like 23 and a half hours a day, like, you know, just the fact that you would just sit there and watch videos, like you said, all day, like, when's the last time you just sat and watched a whole music video like on YouTube? Right. Like just the fact that MTV was was so glorious and so singular in the 90s. And I spent just thousands of hours of my youth just absorbed by whatever was happening. And you're right that it was it it, it expanded your mind slowly. Like it was a monocultural type thing where everyone's watching the November rain video at the same time, you know, and everyone's exposed to the same like 20 songs over and over and over and over again. But it does help you also to branch off into whatever you're going to specialize in, you know, as a teenager in the
0: 90s. And also it's an incredible colorful, I mean, okay, you know, I, I you know, I come in the 80s, I'm a goth because I come from the north, from the Midlands of England, an industrial yes, area. Yeah, then yes, I moved to Spain. Okay. Very difficult to be a goth in the Mediterranean. You don't last long. That's we, tough. We don't like direct no, sunlight. You, you,
1: you know, you're going to faint. Okay, yeah. Yeah.
0: I, there's a story behind that. It involves a velvet waistcoat. <laughs> I bet that yeah, is. Indeed. But anyway, so, but <laughs> incredible colorful as well. If you think of the early 90s, we think about that sort of Durasol, Stuff and we think about mm, Spike Lee, do the course. right thing, yeah. Bright yeah, couple, Keith Harry, Puppy Enemy but also uh, B50, Haring, yeah, yeah, exactly. B52s, bright, you know, Love Shack, okay, that's 89. And then we get into Shiny Happy People mm-hmm. and Rome. And uh, it was yes. colorful, you know, and it, so it wasn't the, the, the type of music that was coming out was, was colorful, it was bright, it suited the medium. And again, albums were bright and colorful, you know, the, the, yeah. you know Woodface, Crowded House, for example.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Early nineties. I love the early nineties pop scene. I think of "Groove Is in the Heart." Oh, right. You know, like that's such a that's such a colorful video, such a colorful sound. That moment when like Gregorian chants. You know, that's the, the Enigma song, yeah. Sadness, you know, could be a number one song like Tom's Diner, like just do, do 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 do. And that's like a hit song, right? Like just anything seemed possible in the early 90s, very specifically, like Bell Biv Devo's Poison being such a big deal. Like there is something so colorful and delightfully chaotic about the pop scene right at that moment, you know, right before grunge takes over and long before sort of teen pop takes over, which is wonderful in its own right. But there is something about that specific moment from the late '80s to the early '90s that's really, really cool to me in retrospect.
0: And as we said, I mean, we mentioned this before, but you—you you had to play. You had to have done the hard yards. We didn't have a, an X Factor. We didn't have a Got Talent. You know, not mm-hmm. really. So therefore, the bands that you saw. Uh were normally pretty damn good. I mean I saw Sealed in Brixton Academy <laughs> after the first album came Ooh, out. Yeah, yeah. I sure. saw I saw Neville Brothers at Brixton Academy. Um oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I didn't get to see black cross because I couldn't get a ticket. But you 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 went to see these but I saw the spin doctors. Um, you know, and so these Hey, that was my first C D. That was my first
1: C D pocket oh, for I'll
0: the, the Spin Doctors. Absolutely, had it on cassette. Miss can't be wrong. Had it on cassette. Ooh, cassette. Yeah, cassette. That's even so this is two, this is two Gen Xs, by the way, talking, ladies and gentlemen. So there you go. <laughs> Please tune out. Uh, no, but but what I'm saying is, whereas now you get you know a one hit wonder, you get the the movie crossovers, mm. the whole thing. Sure. Then, that you know, back in back in back in the day, they had to they had to play a bit, and you know, we talk about the the impact that the grunge hit, or any of these bands, hit, or the or the the R and B that suddenly hit with you know gangs, you know, with uh, Gangstar, etc. But they'd all done the hard yeah. yards.
1: Right. I, yeah, it's, it, it did feel like you had to work a little harder back then and just the way that being on a major label was the only way to get on MTV. Right. You know, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the nineties is also when selling out becomes a big deal. You know, when Green Day is really agonizing. You know, between like being superstars in the East Bay in California, you know, at this one club at at Gilman in Berkeley versus, you know, selling, you know, tens of millions of records nationwide as they did. But, you know, they had to leave behind, you know, their roots in the East Bay. They were rejected, you know, by their hometown, by their home scene because they'd sold out. You know, this is what's interesting to me about it all being pre-internet, right, is that you had... If you wanted to be heard by me, you know, growing up in Ohio in the mid '90s, like you had to be on MTV or you had to be on the radio, and the only way to do that was that I like the the hard yards is a great expression. I'd never heard that, and you had to do that. You had to be on a major label, you know. You and you did have to be a little better, you know, than somebody just putting something up on SoundCloud now, you know. Right? I I, I get that. I yeah. totally get that. Well,
0: if people if they don't, if they don't get you in the first thirty seconds, if you don't drop the chorus in the first thirty seconds of a song, then they're not gonna. Sound- Spotify, you need to put in the work as a listener as well to get it, don't you?
1: That's right, absolutely. I worked very hard as a listener in the '90s, <laughs> and I want people to know that, right? You know, just the idea of physically driving to a record store, you know, with a twenty dollar bill, and you had to pick one, yeah. Like, which of these CDs am I going to listen to hundreds and hundreds of times to get my money out of it,
0: right? Like, yeah, I just it's it's a foreign concept to explain. But now. also, and again, kids ask your parents. But the 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 <laughs> the, the, the the fascist ideology of a music store because you had to be, especially for your teens you can't go in. You can't go in and get something by, I don't know, New Kids on the Block, can you? You've got to get something that's cool, but not too cool. No, so you get they, would, they would kick you out. Well, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, if you go in if you go in, in 94 and ask for Guns and Roses, you get sneered at. So you've got to get something that's because there'll be, there'll be a bootleg yeah. that the, the, the record store guy or the assistant will know. I mean, High Fidelity the movie's got it straight off on the bat on that one. I love it. I love that movie. I, unfortunately, I was dating a girl at the
1: time who was like, you, that, that guy reminds me a lot of you <laughs> and then we broke up shortly thereafter. The John it Black figure is a, it? Yeah, no, it was the John Cusack figure, which oh, is arguably that's, that's even worse. That's, like, that's okay. Yeah, I, well, Jack Black is enjoying himself. It seems a little more comfortable in his own skin than John Cusack does. And John Cusack just sits around listening to records and antagonizing women, you know, and, and it's that that's, it was a bit a little bit of a bummer how much I identified with him at the time. But yes, yeah, so that the record store idea, you know, like somebody comes in and asks for, you know, I just called to say exactly. I, love I love you. you. It's like Get the hell out of here. You know, like that that was very the fascist ideology is exactly the way. It's for
0: respect. my daughter. Is she ill? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Is she ill? Is so good. That's right. <laughs> but also, I mean, we're talking about against sort of against manufactured groups, but there are because I'm just thinking back. We do get a resurgence of the Dreadwoods. I mean, if you think about it, N Sync and uh, New Kids on the Block, and I yeah. and, the, and I and I will wash my mouth with whatever, and the Spice Girls come along, and all the variants. Oh, so there sure. is, I know there is, a, there is still a market for that, isn't there?
1: Of course there is, you know, and by the 90s, again, like when we think of pop in the 90s, I think people do go to the end to the Britney Spears yeah. Backstreet Boys, the Max Martin of it all, the TRL, you know, suddenly MTV is is almost entirely Total Request Live, you know, and the screaming girls in New York City, you know, at the window or whatever. That's what MTV becomes. That's what pop becomes, yeah. you know, and that's a very fraught topic, like trying to talk about Britney Spears. You know, in 1999 now is yeah. quite challenging, you know, just as a human being. But like that is what pop became, you know, but you're right. Like I, when I was in junior high, then, you know, every girl had the new kids on the block button. Right. Like it was like a giant. It was like a campaign button of their favorite me- of, of, of new kids on the block you know and none of those girls would talk to me and it's like i guess uh, this, this is what pop
0: music is indeed do you i mean to, going from britney to brit pop see what i did there how do you how do you you know how how what happened with brit pop suddenly it was it was it was it was fashionable to be british again or to more specifically to be english again at least so you had to be from i pretended that you were from the east end of london goblowny park life or or just be a Gallica brother because that was enough
1: Sure. I it was very it's fascinating in retrospect to think about me being in Ohio yeah. <laughs> and not knowing anything about England. And suddenly everything that I know about England is being filtered through the Gallagher brothers. Right. Or blur or pulp, you know, like yeah. common people, common people is the song that has really endured for me It's like I just I just love that song so much. But yeah, it was just, it was so fascinating. It was so perverse, almost. And there was a very touristy type aspect, you know, where you get the Park Life CD and suddenly you fancy like that you under, you start using the word fancy, you know, in conversation and you start thinking that you understand what it's like to be on the dole in England, you know, and you just start using the language without really knowing how the language works. Like, I do love that element of pop music that it does allow you to be like a tourist. As long as you understand that that's what you are. I think that's a very funny and very cool thing that the like a travelog, touristy element to it, and Britpop was great for that. You know, growing up in the American
0: Midwest, I've got these images of you, you know, with a Union Jack waistcoat, you know, slumming around. Oh, out. totally! I was the hit of my high school,
1: you know, in Cleveland, Ohio, and that stuff. They loved me. I,
0: I, had, I, I, had an art teacher in the, in the who was in, who, who was in Kansas in the, in the '60s, and he said that the funniest thing is when the Beach Boys hit, you had all these guys tearing around Kansas with surfboards on their car. Sure, you did, uh, because, because yeah. the nearest. Surf to Kansas is what four thousand miles away or something like that. Yeah, maybe they got like you know like a water park
1: or something <laughs> in Kansas. You know that can replicate. You know can can approximate the experience. How Probably do you not
0: how do you break it down though? How do you because I mean you and I can write could could talk about this. is like a rap there. You see, showing my age. But you you and I could talk about this until the proverbials come home. But. That that's fine, we but could. you speak about to to podcast. A congratulations for getting it going because loads of us think, "Oh, I want to do a podcast about this that and the other," and you have. But B to Thank actually you. intelligently break down because the ones you pick out, like like Kravitz, who was a retro rocker before mm-hmm. it became fashionable, and, sure. and 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 then other things like you know looking at the cardigans and and Loveful, which was a massive hit because of R- Romeo plus Juliet, Baz Luhrmann's thing. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, how I, you, yeah, it's. How do I, yeah, I... It's great taking it episode by episode, one song per episode, and I can just live in that universe for a while. Lenny Kravitz had been in the news recently. He did an article where he talked about how he felt disrespected, you know, by black media, by like Vibe magazine, by BET, you know, and he felt like rock and roll was not respected as black music, even though he was a huge innovator and so important. And so that's what sort of spurred me to go back and explore, you know, the Lenny Kravitz, the living color, you know, called a personality yeah. late. Because they that came in, counts, didn't they? They, they
0: leapt in as well, didn't they, on the same, on the back of that, and saying, we were here
1: too, by the way. Exa- yes, they said, yes, we also felt disrespected and like we didn't belong anywhere. And I just, trying to find pockets like that. And the cardigans are another example. You know, this moment in the mid to late 90s, you know, Romeo and Juliet is how that song, Love Fool, gets famous, but there seemed to be a pocket there where the one hit wonders, you know, where the cool pop songs got a little cooler and more random, like you get what you give, or how bizarre. Or Steal My Sunshine, you know, right at the end of the decade, like just pop music again, as you've been saying, got colorful again, got random and chaotic again. And I think the Cardigans, who had already been so successful, you know, as a sophisticated sort of acidic, like Swedish pop stars, it's just such a cool catalog beyond that song. But it is very cool that that's the song that suddenly permeated again
0: to Ohio, Got two, I get, got two of their albums, both on cassettes. There you go. Because I, I, from the back of that. A lot first, of cassettes for you. I yeah. Did, oh, no, I had. I had did, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But again, and a great, a great. Was it First Band on the Moon was the first was the name of the first album. So therefore. It, it wasn't the first one, but that's the one that's with Loveful. Yeah, with with Love that's the one that blew up. Yeah. Um, so, what's I mean, what's what's the raison d'être? Because you're not across so many stars, and then you you put this in, into a book. So, are you transcribing the podcast? Because good luck with that one. If you're trying that one, because that'll take you about four four years. Uh, or was it? You know, what what is it, is this a dip in dip out? So, you know, it is it is a book for for casual browsing rather than thesis busting.
1: I don't really go for theses too much. I don't have a grand unified theory. And I certainly thought that I was just going to be able to transcribe the podcast and go about my day. But that's like 600,000 words at this point. So it is very much a dip in, dip out situation. But the book is designed, you know, it's cool if you know the show and you recognize sort of the sections of the episodes of the songs that are in the show. But the book also works if you've never heard of or interacted with the show at all. right? All you really have to know, ideally, even is the songs themselves. You know, so the book for me was about trying to find cool ways to combine these songs, you know, and what do Kirk Cobain and, and the notorious B.I.G. have in common? You know, obviously just stuff like that, just trying to find new ways to combine these songs and get them interacting with
0: each other. And also it must be quite difficult to sort of keep it in the day because because. You know, it's it's thirty years ago now since some of this came out, and my goodness, do I feel old. But you know, when, whenever yeah. anybody does a, does a thing about the nineties, it's and suddenly, and here comes the backlighting. You know, Saint Kurt of Cobain, he was a visionary. He was, a, you know, right, I, remember, right. I remember seeing Nirvana on the on the word in the UK when they first came over at some godly time when I come back from the pub, thinking, who on earth are this lot? Because we hadn't seen anything like them before, and it wasn't. And everybody goes, oh, I saw them the first time; they were amazing. And, you know, and again, Nirvana albums right, were a right. difficult listen, but now, of course, they were. My mm-hmm. goddaughter was wearing a Nirvana t shirt, but she actually knew That's the music. Right. No, she knew the music, okay. so that was okay. But, sure. you know, as all dead rock stars happen, they are, you know, it's like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. so Cobain is this figure, Tupac and Biggie, you know, saints at the Bleeding Well weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to, to, it must be quite difficult to actually not go down that route of sugar-coating some of the stuff that people got up to and and and, and the, the effect. Because it's very easy to say, you know, I was one of the first ones who realized what PDD meant, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. Yeah, one of the chapters in the book is about, you know –
1: Kurt Cobain, the notorious B.I.G., Aaliyah, you know, Selena, you know, just an example of, you know, tragic stories, you know, pop stars who died young and therefore became canonized. You know, they're almost sainted and now they're murals, right, or they're statues or whatever. But you sort of forget what they were like as people, you know, not that I know, you know, not that I knew them. But I. the, the idea behind both the show and now the book is to try and rehumanize them. You know, and try and bring them back down to Earth where they can just walk the Earth like normal people and to try and replicate the experience of hearing this in real time. You know, when you hear, like you say, when you see Nirvana for the first time, you know who the F are this lot is verbatim my reactions to Nirvana the first time. Right. Like you don't know that they're going to be famous. You don't know that this is the band that's going to define the decade Retrospectively, You don't know that, like, girls are going to be wearing their T-shirt. Teenagers are going to be wearing their T-shirts, you know, in 2024. And so you're taking all this on its merits as it's happening. And that's a way different way of hearing, you know, Smells Like Teen Spirit than, like, knowing that it's this super important song. Like, I just, I try and recreate the experience of trying to process all this music in real time and not
0: knowing yet who the winners and losers are. So you mentioned... In the podcast, just briefly, Portishead, who are trip hop. Again, I was a big trip, you know, massive attack, tricky, Portishead, sure. all that scene, all very laid back. I was living in Brixton at the time, so the atmosphere helped, quote unquote. That's very cool. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I got, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a book in that and myself. But, yeah. um, you're a Portishead gigging, you get, you get involved in, is it, is it a mosh pit? Is it an altercation? What happens with you at Portishead?
1: Well, okay, so there's a live album. Portishead put out a live album at Roseland Ballroom um, after, I right after the second album, yeah. right? You know, and they, I, I thought it was MTV, but I don't think it was MTV. There was like a special. There was an unplugged type special, and then they put out a live album. And you know the song Rhodes yeah. by Portis? It's on the first record. It's on Dummy. It's this beautiful song. It's very spare, very eerie, and you just focus in on Beth Gibbons on the singer, you know, and her passion and her intensity and her sadness. And there's a moment on that live album, the live version of Rhodes, where this dude like whoops right like, Right in the middle no, of the song, that, like this the American really moment. Uh, the American Whoop. It is a super. This is an ugly American moment, absolutely for sure. And in the Portishead episode of my show, you know, I talk about Glory Box. That's what the main episode is about. But I talk about this scene, and I fantasize. This did not happen for legal reasons. I feel the need to. I didn't okay, actually um, do this, but I, I, I did fantasize about beating that person up. I, I, I wished that I could be there at Rosalind Ballroom watching this epic performance. And then when that guy whoops, I just start beating him up and like throwing him out a plate glass window and just removing him physically from the presence of the premises. You know, like I'm like, I'm an action movie star or whatever. I just, I do not like that guy. I do not like that. Whooper. Uh, and I, I, am so angry at him still for disrupting the majesty, you know, that was Portishead live. Uh, you
0: know, in that's that that's why we need something that breaks up the time space continuum, so we can send through a, dr- a drone through a there. Time machi- a time a, machine. drone? a drone okay. strike on the guy. We- if you start, if anybody sees you going, woo, that's you know, and it's not a sing along section or it's a quiet section. It's a super quiet. There are no sing along sections to Porter's Head, Head. Yeah. Head The Porter's Head Sing Along book is not available in Neil stores for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs>
1: A drone strike yeah. is an interesting concept. I'm I'm willing to explore
0: that possibility. I think I think so. In fact, that, that can be a podcast actually in itself. If you had a time machine, because people always say to me, "If you had a time machine, what would you go and do?" And they say, "You know, would you go and see the, the, the Declaration of American Independence, or you go and see either the Battle man. of all this? no man? I'm going to see. I'm going to see. I'm going to see Porter's Head and, and, and whack the Whooper. We'll the Beatles. There you go. Yeah. 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 If people want to find out, Robert, if people want to find out. You thought it was going to be a normal interview, didn't you? If people think that, uh, if people want to find out more about you or the book, where's the best place to go, Rob?
1: Well, I'm on the ringer.com. You know, 60 songs that explain the 90s is the name of both the podcast and the book. Against my better judgment, I am still on Twitter, you know, Harvilla, H A R V I L L A. You can find me on Instagram as well. The social media, you know, I'm just hiding out here in Ohio. But yeah, the, the show's still going. The show is in its final few episodes. We did 120, we're doing 120 Ooh. episodes total because we just couldn't stop. You know, the book is available everywhere. You know, I'm around. You yeah. know, I'm
0: on on the internet against my better judgment and the book is also available you can order it as a virtual download from our own virtual bookstore this book is called 60 songs that explain hey. the- I know we have our moments you see um, are you then now going to do 60 songs that this isn't going to be like a that's what I call music 16 is it you're not going to do 60 songs that explain the is there a temptation to go either forward or back Rob
1: there's a huge temptation to go either forward or back. Yes. You know, we got to stop doing the nineties. You know, I, I can't do the nineties forever as much as I'd like to, you know, but I, I, I would like to explore. I I want to do another show. I'm going to do another show. I'm not sure what it is yet, but there is you know a great temptation to explore Ooh. the 80s or the 2000s. Ooh. You know, you just you just never know. Exactly, The well, 80s would be
0: fun. Yeah the, show, yeah, the the fashions, the hairstyles, the hair. In my case, oh dear, this, this oh yes. Yeah. this book, this book yeah. is called "60 Songs That Explained the 90s." It's by Rob Havilla. You can order it by our own virtual bookstore. Go forth and seek him on the social media. He mentioned the Brit pop finest, which is one of his, which had him parading around. Ohio with a false Cockney accident, probably, (laughs) Rob, but I'm going to play out with uh, common people. Uh, Rob, it's been a real pleasure to speak to you today. Take care, my friend. Likewise, man. Thank you so much.